right, Facebook, hello. It is uh, Thursday. It is uh, Easter week. My wife and family are home. It's on spring break, so this is uh, Facebook Live family edition. Who knows? Who knows who will be stopping by? My wife just turned on some lights and a fan. Um, so we're excited to, to see you. This um, this is uh, the mother of all bombs edition. Um, evidently, Donald Trump just, uh, I don't know, launched uh, the mother of all bombs at an a- Afghanistan, like ISIS uh, tunnel complex. And um, I have a lot of experience with this because Andy, usually when he drives up from South County, first goes into the restroom and does the mother of all bombs in my restroom oh, that has to on. be cleaned every week. So that's that's typically a bummer. But um, anyway, <laughs> we're we're glad to be with you. This is uh, this is a supplement to our podcast. It is a supplement to um, uh, the the normal community Q and A stuff that we do. So uh, we we love uh, getting questions in. So Andy, we got three today. Yeah, we got go three. for it, buddy. All right, number one. Uh, is tithing strictly an Old Testament command? I was raised believing you should give at least 10% of your income based on this command. Do you agree? Well, first of all, I agree that you should be coming to our church and uh, giving 10%. No <laughs> question about that. So yes, everyone in our church should be giving 10%. No, um, w- what's interesting is, yes, the tithe was commanded in the Old Testament, but the New Testament teaching on money is is far more radical than that. Uh, Paul uh, twice, uh, once in Acts and then once, I think in first Corinthians or second Corinthians, I think it's second, has the opportunity to teach the tithing command to non-Jewish people and doesn't do it. Instead, what he teaches is that each one should set aside a portion of their income as they've decided in their heart. Hmm. Um, or, or in Acts, it's as each one has decided to give. In other words, there was no longer the the flat support for the Levi's that the ten percent was a part of. There wasn't the the, the flat. Um, you're redeeming your firstborn uh, that Israel, you know, was a part of. Uh, so so no, I don't think that the ten percent command is taught. I think the New Testament's teaching is to give uh, what you're able to give. But the New Testament's teaching, on the other hand, is far more radical. It's not like. Uh, you give 10% and then the rest is yours. The idea in the New Testament, and Jesus teaches on money, I think it's 17 out of 38 of his parables, uh, or at least teaches on stewardship. The idea is that it's all God's. And instead of asking, all right, how much do I give God uh, of mine? It's really how much of God's uh, money do I keep? And so what's taught instead isn't a flat percentage. I, I know people who are 10%, give 10% and they're incredibly greedy and driven by money. I know people that give 1% and are incredibly generous. When Jesus looks at the woman that gives uh, two pennies um, out of her poverty, uh, and, and comments that this, this woman has given more. It really is an issue of the heart, not the amount or the percentage. And so uh, my wife and I just personally, we practice the 10% thing to the church. And um, we feel like that's the starting place. And then we practice, per, you know, uh, amounts over that, just depending on what God's kind of bringing in front of us. But I don't see that as, a, as an absolute command. I, I think that instead, what we need to grow in is fighting the consumerism of our culture by believing that we don't own anything, that we're just managing stuff, the homes, the cars, all of those things are to be used in congruency and alignment with God's purposes in the world. And when they're done uh, that way, then you're incredibly generous, regardless of what percentage you give. All right. <laughs> That's great. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So take that one. I fall in line with all of the uh, Christians under the age of uh, 40 
that give about 0.5% Perfect. on average. Perfect. <laughs> at every church. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Number two. But there's a lot you could say there because you get into the mismanagement of money, the fact that giving to God isn't always equal to giving to the church, right? Yeah. So being generous. So so what I teach is generosity. I don't I don't teach giving to the church. I yeah. mean, obviously the church needs uh, funding, but you know the church would exist if no one funded it or or not. Right. So you can give to World Vision, Compassion International, Charity Water. I mean, all of that I consider giving uh, as unto uh, unto the Lord and giving in a way that loves neighbor. Mm -hmm. And and very often churches aren't the best stewards of the money that's given. And so sometimes right. maybe in the name of giving. Um, and generosity, you don't give to your church, but that becomes, you know, pretty, pretty thin line about, um, preferences and consumerism and so on. But there's a lot we could say there. I love it. Yeah. I think if you're giving Great to question. Olstein, you've, you've got enough. Olstein's <laughs> got plenty. It sounds like Olstein's <laughs> got plenty. Absolutely. All right. Here we go. Number two. I saw this question in a meme on Facebook, but it got me thinking, <laughs> how do guys with the names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John end up in the Middle East? Oh, that's funny. Uh, well, those, that was, those weren't their names. I mean, obviously, they, they had uh, most likely, with the exception of Luke, Luke was a Greek, they had Hebrew names. So mm -hmm. John would have been Yochanan. Um, I don't know. Matthew was called Levi, um, not Levi like the genes. Mm. Um, and so, so these are English transliterations from either Greek or from Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Yochanan sounds way better than John. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like Jesus. That, that isn't Jesus's name. That's how you say it and transliterate it into English. Right. Um, Yeshua you know uh, was Jesus's name in Hebrew. I was going to say Joshua though, was in Greek. Yeah. It's funny about the question though, because the question's oriented differently. It's, it's like, you know, how did guys with the names end up in the Middle East? Oh, that's funny. Like, Oh, oh, I see. I they see were in the Middle yeah, East yeah, yeah. to begin with. Right. Yes, yes. They started there. They started there. And then we kind of Americanized them. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. That's... Any any question that starts from a meme, I'm in. Yeah. Just start right there because memes are true. All in. <laughs> All right, here we go. Last, Last question. question. Um, hi, Mike. Hi. I struggle with the Sermon on the Mount where hi. Jesus equates lust and anger to adultery and murder. Ooh. This seems unreasonable to me. If my spouse were to say, I've had lustful thoughts about a coworker, I would say calmly, okay, let's step back to avoid, though, let's take steps to avoid that. <laughs> but if they, were to, if they were to say, I slept with a coworker, I would go through the roof. Similarly, if I were to cut someone off in traffic, I would never equate them giving me the finger to them pulling out a gun and trying to shoot me. Yes. I understand that sin begins in the heart. Yes. And that is where the issue needs to be met. Yes. But this one-to-one -one equation doesn't make any sense to me. Care to clarify? I, I, I do care to clarify, actually. Um, I think that's a great question. And, and, and please understand, what Jesus is doing is having a... Jewish conversation with Pharisees and scribes who uh, boasted in their rightness before God because of their adherence to not only the written Torah, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, but the oral Torah, which was uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments that built fences around the original 613. And, and so Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by announcing the most radical thing. He's not come to destroy the law. He's come to fulfill it. And fulfill it means to rightly interpret it, to show an authoritative interpretation of it. 
He's been accused of destroying it, which means weakening it or misinterpreting. So now he's actually going to give us insight into how it is that Jesus understands Torah. And one of the things he begins with is he talks about light and heavy commandments. If any of my disciples, you know, uh, breaks the least of these commands, they are least in the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about, he's holding commands together that were considered heavy and that were considered light. Heavy commands were do not murder, do not commit adultery. Some of the, you know, the big 10 light commands were things like do not hold anger against your neighbor um, or um, um, do not, uh, he, lust was more like coveting. Do not covet after your neighbor's possessions, including your neighbor's spouse. So what Jesus is doing is he's not equating the outcomes of these because surely, and don't call me Shirley. Surely there's an outcome between a middle finger and a gun or real adultery in life. And there's a difference between adultery and the heart. What he's saying instead is that in Jesus's hermeneutic or his way of understanding the scriptures, that light and heavy commandments are all important. You can't set aside some for the sake of the one. So for instance, as a Pharisee, you could not walk around and say, well, I haven't committed adultery. What Jesus is saying is no, adultery is also an issue of the heart. And, and, and God's, God's righteousness isn't just, hey, physically avoiding adultery, but it's having a heart that as, uh, actually is pure, that wouldn't have adultery even if the opportunity were given to it. So what Jesus is contrasting is the way that God understands rightness or righteousness and the way the Pharisees understood it. The Pharisees actually lessened the law by only uh, focusing on the heavy commands. Jesus actually makes the law more powerful because he makes these things issues of the heart. He's not saying they're equal in real life. He's not saying they're equal in moral consequences to other people. He's simply in, in, in the way that the Jews would measure out light and heavy laws. He's saying that distinction is irrelevant from God's point of view? That's a great question. That's great. And in fact, we may do some Sermon on the Mount stuff over the spring. So if mm. you're a regular Voxer, you may want to tune in for that because that's there's a lot more to say there. But Jesus is giving six examples about anger and oaths and and lust and adultery. That he And he's doing amazing, amazing things there. I think we, we miss out a bit on what he's doing. And so I think that's a very fascinating question deserving of a more thorough response. But as always, please type in questions uh, underneath this video. We pay attention to this. Um, you can go to Vox uh, Podcast, our Facebook page or our webpage. Um, find out more about the podcast. And we add this to our podcast stream after it's done on Facebook Live. So how am I looking today? Oh, you are looking fine, my friend. My, I got my Captain America shirt on. Feeling strong. So uh, I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling yeah. shielded. You know, in that last question I was thinking about, for me, the, the conviction is that you know, it's not that I eat too much. It's that I order too much food. I'm not sure. Uh... <laughs> I eat with my eyes, they say. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, my problem. My problem is my eyes. My stomach grows to match my eyes. There we go. You at least, you at least, you have a stomach that's smaller. My stomach grows or my stomach leads my eyes. I'm not sure. Shorter legs. I burn more calories just from walking. That's oh, no good. But all right. My brothers and sisters, blessings to you. Have a great day and do not set off the mother of all bombs in your friend's bathroom. Please, like Andy does. Terrific. Terrific.